Welcome to Lynn Cullen Live, talk radio without the static. Email your questions and comments to lynn at pghcitypaper.com. And now your host, Lynn Cullen. And uh, good morning to you. It's uh, October 19. It's a Tuesday, but uh, I don't think my sister is going to be joining us um, because I... uh, Unfortunately, had some, you know, the kind of news you don't want to get. But uh, Susan um, is with my mother um, at the hospital in in, in Green Bay, and uh, my mom complained of uh, stomach pain, and uh, it turns out that uh, she's going to have her appendix removed uh, in two hours. So. Um, Susan's with her, and uh, I'm sort of on. I don't even know what a tenter hook is, but I'm on them, it, <laughs> because uh, you know, 99 plus year old woman going in for surgery is uh, is a um, little unsettling. So if I'm, I'm going to try to just forget about it as possible and move on. And, uh, actually I'll, I'll look forward to this being a distraction since there's nothing I can do and I can't be there. And, uh, but I am, yeah, on tenter hooks. <laughs> what are those? Geez, you would think if an appendix makes it for 99 years, it could just, you know, like keep on going. <laughs> oh no. Uh, anyway, I. Uh, having had my appendix removed uh, not too long ago. Um, you know, they do it laparoscopically now, so it's it's not as invasive a procedure. And uh, the doctors told my sister that uh, they thought that maybe uh, she could be home tonight. Amazing. I hope not. I think she could do a, well, who knows? It's always better to be home. Isn't it? Anyway. So... Uh, that's where we are. Actually, I, I was talking to my mom and Susan last night, and Susan and I got into such a, you know, Susan said, geez, we should stop this. This would make a great show for tomorrow. I said, you're right. Let's just stop now because we were having a good show on our own and uh, putting our mom to sleep. She wasn't into it, but uh, but we were. Um. I want to, you know, there's a few little uh, things I want to say that I've been meaning to say and that I've forgotten about while I'm doing the show. So let me let me get those um, off my list right now. And I don't mean to give short shrift to it by, by by saying that. But I, you know, when I'm walking my dog uh, and it's uh, garbage night. Um, I am sometimes so blown away by the amount of garbage that that is put outside. Um, I, it says something about us, obviously, and and it harkens back to something I I said yesterday about us not. Americans no longer being required to be citizens. Our job, quite clearly, is to be consumers. And, you know, we live in this consumerist, capitalist uh, culture. It's part of the reason we've gone 
south. <laughs> There's no doubt about it. A consumerist, capitalist culture is not instilling any values that you would argue were good values. And, and so when a culture embraces as ours has, um, you know, and it's done little by little. It's not like there's some referendum. <laughs> Would you rather consider your role as a citizen of the United States to be a citizen or to be a consumer? Nobody ever asked us. It just happened. And um, we were easily seduced um, into being unserious people who reveled in getting and spending and then throwing out and getting some more. It reminds me actually of all this panic I'm hearing now about the supply chain. And <laughs> the, the, the panic is about you don't want to disappoint your grandchildren at Christmas. The idea being that some very special boy uh, will be out of your reach because of supply chain issues. Um, so your job now is to panic and do all your Christmas shopping right now in hopes of elbowing aside uh, folks who uh, also might be looking for that same object. But, you know, it wasn't like garbage that I wanted to talk about. That's my initial reaction when I see all the garbage. Um, my second reaction is feel uh, for the men. And as far as I know, they're all men. Maybe there's a woman on one of those trucks. I've never seen one. They're mostly black men. I haven't. That's what I see in my neighborhood. And the black men who jump off the back of those garbage trucks and have to go from house to house and ridding, you know, the the, the people making of, of this dash of garbage. I wonder what's in there. I mean, what could it all be? It can't be. I don't know. All I know is um, if those men were not willing and able to do that job, we would be literally living up to our eyeballs in a dump. And the job they do, which is back-breaking, let me just say that it comes to think of the back-breaking. So the city has uh, given us all these blue recycling containers. I just want to say whoever bought those, whoever said these are the ones, has never been a person who collects garbage because those blue containers are heavy before anything's even in them. They're much heavier than they have to be. And 
I find that I'm unwilling to fill them up because I don't want some poor soul having to, I would put like newspapers, which get heavy, and then bottles, which get heavy. And if you filled one of those things, I hate to think what that weighs. Imagine. Anyway, I'm sorry. I'm just doing stream of consciousness now. It says something about a society that pays the people who do the most important jobs, like keeping us from living in the sea of crap that we continue to buy and toss, the people who rid us of it week after week are not paid much of anything. And then something like a pandemic happens and we find out they're essential. And all the people making all the big bucks, guess what? They're not. All right. I have so many things here that I want to talk about. And I'm sorry that Susan's not here to to join us. But I'll just... Keep on keeping on. I was mortified, and you guys are so sweet uh, that you didn't tell me, but somebody did, and I adore him. It wasn't not sweet of him to tell me. It was, thank God he told me, but none of you did, and here's what I'm going, I'm going to read something. I'm not I'm not saying who this is. I'm just saying that I received an email. I don't know when this was. This would have been last week, maybe. Um, Late last week. And this is someone who listens to the show with some regularity. And he wrote me this because he had experienced an uncomfortable psychological uh, struggle while listening to my show. And he said this, in part, I'm not going to do the whole thing. It's taken me the better part of the last hour and a half convince myself that I'm, I'm not in some strange time loop nor have I suffered some traumatic brain injury since I left for work this morning. When you began the story of the ensnared whale this morning, I thought that I'd heard it before. As I listened intently, I became convinced that I'd heard it before because I knew all of the details before you even uttered them. And as I continued to listen, I got the eerie feeling that not only had I heard it before, but it was you who told it on an earlier show. But I convinced myself that that couldn't be the case (laughs) because I've listened to you since the early 1990s and feel as though I know your inflections and cadences well enough to be able to determine if the subject matter is new to the show or something you're revisiting. And your enthusiasm today 
convince me that this was a story you were telling for the first time and that I must have learned the details elsewhere. But your phrasing seems so familiar. The dramatic pauses, the sympathy for the poor beast. All were an uncomfortable deja vu. And then when you said the phrase, grapefruit-sized eye, I knew. It couldn't have been anywhere nor anyone save you where I had heard this remarkable tale. <laughs> I, oh my God. You know, one of the things uh, you notice with older people is they tell you the same stories more than once, right? I, I've noted it with my friends. I've noted it with my, you know, with my mom and with myself, my brother, repeat himself too. But my God, guys. Now, I've told, I've told the same story a number of times, but not twice in one week, I think it was. I think I first told the story when Susan was on. It's such a marvelous, I can't get that story out of my head. I told, I told you, I think I said, I was stopping people on the street. <laughs> I wanted to tell the story. So the fact that so many of you, when I started telling this story as if for the first time, because I thought it was the first time I'd shared it with you, how silly of me. And nobody wrote in and said, when, uh, when, hello, <laughs> grapefruit sized eye. But you know what I thought? I remembered that in telling the story the second time, I did not put that grapefruit-sized eye in the story at the same point. I actually do remember that then telling the story the first time. And the first time I told it, the grapefruit-sized eye made its appearance at much more toward the beginning of the story when the divers first came upon the poor beast uh, ensnared in all those ropes. And I said that one rope had been on its head. I think I said, yeah, that's when the grapefruit-sized eye came in. And then in the second telling, <laughs> the grapefruit-sized eye came in at the very end when the whale comes back after being freed and eyeballs uh, his fur. Her liberators. Oh, okay. So I, I just want to say, I, I'm glad I know I did that. I think it's funny. At first, I, w I was mortified. Then I thought, no, it's funny, and it's such a good story. It's worth hearing twice. So, I, it, but it's funny that none of you said, uh, Lynn. What? Anyway, okay. Ed writes. Uh, in the future, we will likely be known as the culture that produced the largest mounds of landfill garbage that the world has ever seen. Yeah. Remember, the garbage is still out there somewhere. <laughs> yeah. Even if it isn't. Yeah. We just keep moving it, right? We just keep moving it. But never before have the men who pick up the garbage had to pick up so much because we are masters 
of consumption and uh, tossing out that which we have ceased to enjoy or where we're making room for some new getting and spending, right? What a, you know, what a soulless basis for a culture. Just saying. Laura writes, I'm tired of hearing about the supply chain and seeing all those ships sitting in the ocean causing pollution. Yeah, they're idling, huh? I don't know. Christmas will come with or without toys. You know, that's exactly what I thought. Oh, my God. You mean little, what's, I don't know what the names are now. You know, the names keep changing. Little, little, little Jesse is not going to have, I, I, you know, it's just, it's sickening. It's just sickening. It's not like there will be toys available or things you can give your kids. And Laura says, maybe it would be best if kids didn't get so much. Laura says, I admire the garbage collectors, too. Not a job I'd want. No, who would? I often thank my garbage men if I'm outside when they come, and they always seem surprised someone is even talking to them. Yeah. Yeah. And Laura says she's thinking of us and her mom. She's a strong lady, hoping the hospital in Green Bay is less stressful than in Pittsburgh. Yeah, well, the hospital she's in in Green Bay is a hospital that my father served as the chairman of the board at one point. And our family, the woman who heads the hospital now is a dear friend of my mother's. So uh, no one, I can't, there wouldn't be a soul in Green Bay who's getting uh, better care. Mom. That's the hospital she pushed me out into the world in on a cold day in January. Long time ago. Uh oh, I'm seeing something saying reminder, Clarence is on the line. I never saw the first see I what the hell is Clarence? Hello? 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 I didn't, I'm sorry, I didn't see the first notice that you were there. I'm patient. <laughs> Don't worry about yes, it. Yes, you are. <laughs> okay. I just had to, had to keep going in my mind. Garbage, garbage, garbage. <laughs> so, 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 I so I wouldn't go off track. And, and, and forgive me if I told this story before. I worked on a garbage truck one, uh, the summers when I was 14 and 15. Wow. How, yeah. Really? Yeah. That seems too young to be allowed to do that. Oh, that, that was allowed. It was under the table. Um, oh. <laughs> okay. A guy, his name was, it is, it was uh, the husband of a friend of my mother's. I called him Uncle Chucky. He drove the truck, and two of us were on the back of the truck. We got paid $28 a day, which doesn't sound like much, but in like 1977, when oh, yeah. minimum, when, when minimum wage was like $1.50, Sixty something or something like that. Maybe. It was a lot. Yeah. It was it, it was a lot of money, you know. And um, yeah. and there was we didn't work eight hours or four hours or five hours. You worked until the route route was done. So what we would do, he wouldn't stop the truck. He'd just drive slowly and we'd jog behind it. 
throwing garbage in the truck. It only stops yep. so we can so we can do that. Um, you know, I think when you smash it, when the, 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 the whole, yeah, they come the compact, compact yeah. it. You yeah. know, I remember after my first day, I got home and my arms and my hands from grabbing <laughs> bags were like yeah. clenching themselves on their own. I had like no muscle control. Oh. <laughs> and my mom, I said, but mom said, what's wrong? I said, I can't. My mom, she said, she just laughed and said, <laughs> uh, she said, she said, go, go run yourself a hot bath, put some and soak in some Epsom salts. And I've, I've been soaking in Epsom salts every time I have months ever since then for that, for that amount of time. Because it really but, works, huh? Yeah, it really, really works. works. Yeah, yeah. But, and, you know, so you really earned that money. <laughs> you oh, yeah, really yeah. earned I, that I, money. I, I earned the money. And, I, and um, I can remember, like, after being 14, when I was 15, when I was a sophomore in high school, I was on the honor roll every single time because there was no way I was doing that for the rest of my life. You know, with the Jack. Well, that was, a gr- that was great. That was yeah. a great motivator then. <laughs> exactly. And, uh, oh, by the way, I was, I was extremely huge cut. I looked like, you know, I looked like a, you know, a, a Marvel superhero. The muscles are all there, the six pack. It was a good exercise for a teenager. So anyway, yeah. uh, the, uh, talking about the uh, holdup of all of our material goods, I was like thinking, I love it when people throw a lot of stuff away, especially when they donate it, because that's Christmas for me. Because I'm so. Because just just the other day, just the other day, I'm in the Goodwill, and I get a brand new pair of Nikes for five dollars and ninety nine cents because somebody donated them instead of throwing it in the garbage. (laughs) Oh, I hope to hell people don't throw out usable stuff. That's outrageous. Isn't it? it is outrageous, but you know, they I live do. in like yeah, I live in like a duplex and you talk about garbage. Like on garbage night, you know, uh the former family they they've moved out. You know, there was a family, a, a mom, a dad and three kids. They'd have two of those big, you know, um garbage cans full overflowing and a couple of garbage bags sitting on the side each week. And I'm not there yeah, with my sure. one one tall kitchen yeah, garbage well, bag. Sure. <laughs> you know, but that's what I have. That's what I have. I have one, one little tall, tall kitchen garbage bag. That's what yeah. I had out there today. And even that is probably, you know, could be half of what it is if I were more. Yeah, because yeah, because sometimes it takes me two weeks because I can't throw out a half a garbage yeah. bag. Yeah, right, <laughs> so it takes, exactly. It takes me two weeks to get to that. <laughs> And, uh, unless, and, and, unless it starts stinking, then then it yeah. goes. But yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, well, my I, I um I always say mulch. What's that word when you put your vegetables and you let them rot so you can compost? Use them yeah, compost. I compost. I compost vegetables. Yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, well, that's you know, good, and that's like that. what well, you that, should that, be doing. That that saves that. You know, and like old brand stuff like that that goes out to the birds. You know, there's, there's not there's not a lot of garbage. And that's I, right. You know, yeah, so there's not, there's not right. a lot of garbage. So that that's one of those things. And sometimes, now this is going to sound, you know, well, I got to be me. You know, what, what are you people going to do to me? I was driving down the street. I remember it was like two years ago from the Oktoberfest. And I got like a brand new toilet that was sitting on the curb. I, just, I said, wait a minute. What? That thing looks new. So I go and I'm like, I, 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 make like, I make a loop. So I come back and I pull over. <laughs> And I went, that's a brand new toilet sitting out for garbage. And the people who live in the house came out and they said, are you taking it? I'm like, is it new? They go, yeah, it didn't fit. 
So we just sat out there hoping somebody would take it. Wow. Yeah, yeah. I went, went, okay. (laughs) I said, it looks new. They said, oh, it is new. They said, "Uh, yeah. Or it was that it said it was like one of those low flows and the husband or something like that didn't want a low flow or something. Yeah. So, um, I said, they said we were hoping somebody would take it. I'm like, oh, yeah, I'm taking it. <laughs> well, so that's, you know, in as much as that happens, that's good. I yeah. had a friend call me, what was it, yesterday, mm-hmm. saying, hey, I'm on Fifth Avenue. Someone put out two beautiful white wicker chairs in the garbage. Do you need anything? You know, I said, I don't have any room for it. But see, that's people, I'm sure those chairs were gone within yeah. an hour. Um, yeah, I do that, I, yeah, I would think. <laughs> And I know when I went to New York City to live, um, I had a little tiny apartment, no money and no way to mm-hmm. – um, I had a room. And I was told on, on garbage – garbage day was like I think Wednesday on upper on the Upper West Side and also on – they told me you go up there mm-hmm. <laughs> and you can find – unbelievable things, you know, great tables, lamps, whatever. Mm-hmm. And it was true. I, yeah. you, you just go picking in rich people's garbage. Yeah. I like to tell people like, look, you know, while you're out there working hard to get your material goods so you can feel better when you buy it and it doesn't <laughs> give you that same feeling. And the next year you don't like it anymore and you throw it away as I'm leaving my stress-free life, carefree and all that stuff. I'll just go take it. <laughs> so it was your stress and suffering that bought it. <laughs> and I'll just go get it for, you know, a fraction of what you paid for it. But you feel good when you donate it too for a little bit. <laughs> but now you go back no, to work no, on no, Monday. No, yeah, just so you, that, that's true. That's all yeah. true. Yeah. Hey, thank you, Clarence. You're hey, welcome. Great to hear from you. Bye. 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 <laughs> bye. Uh, bye-bye. Yep. And Aaron, Aaron's written about the whale story repeat. He said, I, I'm, this is why I'm glad I told the story of the story being repeated, because I figured a lot of you had to have had the same reaction as the guy who sent me email. And Aaron writes, I had exactly the same experience with a whale story. I thought I might have had a stroke. Yeah. And that grapefruit size eye descriptor, that was a clincher. Glad it wasn't just me. (laughs) All right. So none of you are nuts. I'm a little forgetful. That's all. That's all. (laughs) Oh, dear, 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 dear. Okay. Did you see? This is so repulsive. I don't know why am I why am I even doing this? Because I I think we need to remind ourselves of how how totally repulsive repulsive and actually the perfect indicator of what a corrupted humorous valueless culture we live in now um, is that Donald Trump was the president. There is no other way to, uh, to explain how an empty soulless mentally ill grifter could have ascended that position by virtue of our electoral 
system. The people of this corrupted consumerist capitalist country spoke. Did you see what he put out on the death? General Powell. Here it is. Big headline. State, he put it out. You know, he can't go on Twitter anymore, so he puts these statements out. Statement by Donald J. Trump, 45th President of the United States of America. Wonderful to see Colin Powell, who made big mistakes on Iraq and famously so-called weapons of mass destruction, be treated in death so beautifully by the fake news media. Hope that happens to me someday. He was a classic rhino, if even that, always being the first to attack other Republicans. He made plenty of mistakes. But anyway, may he rest in peace. How could any Christian court a man who would put that out upon the death of a much admired man? A man so much better. Head and shoulders above. It's it's just it's it's extraordinary. Extraordinary. <laughs> hey, I came across. Um, I want to read it to you because it made me laugh, and we can always use a laugh, especially after dealing with you know who. Um, I came upon this biography of Chris Potter um, that that is on the WESA FM uh, page since he now is reporting for 90.5 and here it is I got it, what it told me is I got to redo mine this is too funny here's Chris Potter's bio and there's no doubt who wrote it Nearly three decades after leaving home for college, Chris Potter now lives four miles from the house he grew up in, a testament either to the charm of the South Hills or to a simple lack of ambition. In the intervening years, Potter held a variety of jobs, including asbestos abatement engineer and ice cream truck driver. He has also worked for a number of local media outlets, only some of which then went out of business. After serving as the editor of Pittsburgh City Paper for a decade, he covered politics and government at the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette. He has won some awards during the course of his quarter-century journalistic career, but then even a blind squirrel sometimes digs up an acorn. (laughs) That's just wonderful. That's just wonderful. I want to thank Chris Potter for his, uh, his bio. It's just... Wonderful. Oh, God. Okay. 
what do I want? You know, see, I'm, I'm looking at this stuff and I don't want to talk about any of it. And I'm so sorry. You must get sick of me saying that. Hey, I got this, and I don't want to talk about it. That's depressing. That's depressing. That's depressing. That's depressing. I, let me just uh, do a quick little rant on um, something that the New York Times did uh, Sunday. It was their big front page Sunday. I mean, that's got to be their biggest circulation newspaper. Uh, and the front page above the fold was this big, big, big story. Uh, reporting on something we all knew, uh, which was January 6th. And what they did in this story uh, was focus on essentially just seven men and 90 seconds in which they came together. Men who did not know each other, but who you could see on video came together at one of the more brutal parts of January 6th. And it made for really, I'm reading it, I'm reading it. Uh, And all of these men that they profile in it are have all been arrested. They're facing serious charges. Of course, they're all white. They come from seven different states. One's from Pennsylvania, one's from Colorado. I remember one's from who knows what, uh, Michigan, so whatever. And they're various, one is like a scientist. One has his own trucking business or scrap business. One, uh, whatever. There's a cross-section, kind of. If you can do a cross-section of white male Trumpers. But in the course of this, like, I don't know what, three, four-page story, as I'm reading it, I realize that I'm feeling on occasion some empathy. And then it occurred to me, wait a minute. These are six of the seven of the people who came frighteningly close to destroying our country that day. And here, the New York Times saw fit to humanize them. You read about where they've come from in life. You read the neighbors and family people saying, wouldn't want us... This is the guy you'd want by your side in any situation. Man, one of them, he is the single-handed guy who holds up his little church. He goes in the morning, he cleans it up. He puts water out for the minister. He makes it his whole life. Yeah. These people are so wonderful, you could just weep. 
white privilege. White privilege. The mostly overwhelmingly white New York Times. Seeing these insurrectionists and rioters and people who they describe like viciously attacking a police officer, one of the Capitol Police. They get this treatment in which they become humanized. Now, that's fine. Because we do have a tendency to see things, you know, uh, black and white, you're good or bad. And that's not true. People are complex. But we know damn well that there would never be this kind of story about black, seven black men who were involved in activity like this. Oh, sometimes you get humanizing stories about black men who are in jail. But that's because they've maybe been rotting there for most of their lives because a racist prosecutor, a racist jury, a who knows what, said they did a crime they didn't do. So sometimes we see humanizing things about black men in that context, but I can't think of seeing anything like this. And so I just want to say the New York Times, you know, when you hear people talk about this sort of elitist mindset, and it it is true, they, they don't know from, I mean, I think these guys at the New York Times look at these seven men as sort of like exotics. Look at this guy. I could identify with him in some respects. Hardworking, helps his neighbors. Just went a little, little awry at one point. And the story ends with one of the guys, he's, he's sobbing, he's crying. And I found myself sort of like, oh, 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 what? Jesus. God. Anyway, so I, 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 I'm sorry. I was not very uh, eloquent, but um, just needed to say, I'm sick of it. Uh, something I've been watching, and I, um, I'm going to definitely say, if you have access to it, do it. It's this uh, series, limited series, streaming on Hulu called Dope Sick. And it's about the opioid crisis. And it stars Pittsburgh's own Michael Keaton, who is just wonderful. I mean, he is such a good actor. He had to grow on me throughout his career. Man, he's good. 
and um, it's it's good. And you learn. You learn. It, it really takes you behind the scenes of how the Sacklers and um, pharmaceutical family, uh, Purdue Pharmaceuticals, how they 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 should all be in jail. I mean, they talk about if there was a death sentence, they should all be dead because they knowingly killed, addicted, and then killed hundreds of thousands of people. They're they're still living large. No problem. But... um, it's really well done, and and it, not just entertaining, great acting, but you learn a lot of how it went down. It's, by the way, um, uh, directed by one of my favorites, Barry Levinson, who uh most known for that. I think he's still most known for Diner back in the day. Anyway, well done is what I'm suggesting. Did you see the story? This is one of those stories that I can't even get my head around. Did you see that a woman on a train... Just outside of Philadelphia, one of the trains that was uh, that's run by the SEPTA, the Southeastern Pennsylvania Transportation Authority. They do the buses, the trains, the yeah. Did you see that this woman who was sitting on a train was raped? By a stranger, a man who boarded, sat next to her, and then just started ripping her clothes off and assaulting her. They were not alone on that train. I have not seen any further reporting of how many people were in that car. The assault took about eight minutes. Not anybody on that train called 911. Not anyone on that train attempted to intervene. And... In fact, I believe I saw somewhere that some of the people did have their phones out, but they were taking video of the rape. I don't remember some of you old ones. 
the national reckoning that occurred. It has to be back in the 70s, doesn't it? Kitty Genovese in New York, where a woman was attacked on a New York street, her screams going on people in the buildings around doing nothing. And then we, I remember story after story about what has happened to us that we would let a woman be attacked and die like that. And no one come you and, and, and anybody coming to her help was not putting themselves in harm's way. It, it's a matter of picking up a phone. So I, I just can't begin to imagine. That poor woman, knowing she was not alone, there were people who could help her and they did not. And the audacity of the man I believe he's in custody. I I I, I, I just I don't no. And so we see the same kinds of, you know, quotes that we got after Kitty Genovese. Here's somebody saying, I, I, I just don't know. Uh, this is a, one of the police. I don't know where we are in a society that people can't help other people in a time of need. If you see something horrendous like this, you have to do something. How is that something that people wouldn't know? You have to do something. You have to intervene. And you know what? This is where, this is another, another indication of our downfall in that we don't have a culture now that does anything but feed individualism. It's why we're so screwed up during the pandemic that people people put their an individual's desire over the larger community's needs for protection. So I just Unbelievable. Unbelievable. I don't I, I, I don't know. And again, this is where I probably should still be watching news, but I I don't know if that got a, a lot of coverage. Apparently, uh county police who don't get vaccinated are going to be hired. Allegheny County cops who don't get vaccinated are going to be fired, which is great. This kind of uh, showdown with the police is happening all over the country. And the police unions are digging in because, you know, the police unions are, well, 
sure if you did a Venn diagram, police unions, Fox, uh, Fox viewers, uh, Trumpers, it would all be <laughs> pretty much the same crowd. So even though more cops by far have died in the last two years from COVID than from oh, guns, knives, anything, we always hear a, a dangerous job. And these cops are deciding to make it more dangerous. More than f almost 500 of them have died from COVID. Four times as many officers who have died from gunfire. And these are, again, these are the frontline people who interact with others. I don't want, if I'm the person uh, in need of a police officer, I don't want somebody unvaccinated and unmasked coming at me to help me because they could be killing me. They could be giving me the virus. In Chicago, it's really gotten ugly. And you've got uh, their mayor uh, announcing that she now has started She's told the police department to start placing unvaccinated cops on leave, no pay leave. Not firing him. They're just telling him to stay home and they're not going to get paid. And that's what's got to happen. I mean, if, if there are 400 cops being killed on the streets this year, there'd be outrage, right? I'm, I'm looking at a list of some of the most recent officers to die. Listen to this. Freddie Castro. He was a cop in Overland Park, <clears throat> Kansas. Excuse me. Young, unbelievably young officer, 23 years old. He's dead. 23-year-old. Joseph Kerr, Fond du Lac, Wisconsin police. 26 years old. He's dead. Jennifer Seapot, Fort Lauderdale police. 27 years old. She's dead. The man, the police union, they're going to stand firm. <laughs> Excuse me. <coughs> Incredible. Mab writes, I had some of the feelings you speak of about the Times article on Sunday, but I... I realize that it's important for us to understand that plain, ordinary people can be roused to mob violence by a demagogue. Things they would never consider doing before being indoctrinated and motivated by a Trump-like leader. 
become the automatic necessary things for them to do. I lived in Germany for a few years and continuously looked at ordinary people wondering how on earth their relatives could have turned into rabid Nazis. And now I realize it can happen in my own world just as easily. Yeah, there you go. Mm-hmm. There are so many of them. And then even beyond the ones that would act enough to be there, you know, all these guys were so far gone, they traveled to be there. But think of all the people who will just stay silent. Probably most of the people, like the people on that Philadelphia train, they'll just be silent while all manner of horror happens. Don't want to get involved. And so if you add up the, like, real nutcases, And Donald Trump's number one. And the real true believers, and then these folks that, you know, one step down, that maybe never had a criminal record, never did anything untoward, all of a sudden now, you know, kicking a police officer in the head. These are people who who think they support law and order, right? Right, so we're we're pretty far gone, and Kanye West is no more, ladies and gentlemen. Just to again, with some respite, Kanye West doesn't change his name, so he's now. I guess he doesn't even he changed his name to just two letters. He doesn't even have a. A first name or a last? What do you do when you have to fill this thing out on, you know, on the internet where it says last name, first name, and you don't, and it says it's an uh, it's a required field. <laughs> oh, what do you do then if your name is simply Yay? Is that how it's pronounced? Y e ye or Yay? That's who he is now. On Yay, I'm willing to bet it's Yay. Judge Michelle Williams. Michelle Williams is a judge? Judge Michelle Williams granted the change on Monday in a California courthouse. Oh, there you have it. He had suggested three years ago he was going to change his name, but the one he had in mind was a lot longer than Y-E. He was going to change it then to Christian genius billionaire Kanye West. Oh, God. All right. I'm sorry. I'm sighing in your ears, aren't I? I can't help myself. I can't help myself. I'm, I'm sighing in your ears. Uh... 
I got this stuff here, but I'm worried about. Oh, this might get us get us to the end. <laughs> get me to the end here. Um, I want to bite off more than I can chew. David Brooks, who drives me crazy, but I can tell is a tries to be a thoughtful white man. Um, said something in a recent column that is so true, but it's so impossible. You can see it's impossible. And he talks about how we think this, you know, I've often talked about this. You you cannot have a community or a, a country without a story, without a narrative that people sign on to. It's why we all, you know, we're indoctrinated as children with the, you know, the pilgrims, the turkeys, the buckled shoes. We all sort of got, there is a sense that you have to have a story and you tell the children early and tell them year after year after year because a nation, to quote Brooks, is a community of people that at best is held together by a common story. Now, the story that you and I learned and most Americans and the one that is still held to by so many is this triumphalist story. And it's one that I have always found so off-putting. It's one that always made me think, why? Remember again, in the old days, when the TV stations would sign off at night? I don't know what they did here in Pittsburgh, but in Green Bay, you know, they'd fly the flag, and maybe you'd see a jet fighter go... And maybe the Star Spangled, but or at football games, the flag, the Jets. Everything was always our sense of ourself was a show of destructive, <laughs> of death-dealing machinery, and I found that off-putting. Even our horrible Star-Spangled Banner is about battle. When I always thought that, you know, you could, why can't the narrative be something? I mean, obviously, the story of this country is suffused with blood. But if you tell the story as it happened, we don't come out looking all that great a lot of the time. So how do you create a country telling that story? And as Brooks points out, the younger generation in this country, people under 30, increasingly are rejecting this story. I'm rejecting the story, and I ain't under 30. We need a new story. And all I keep talking about the fact that we're all learning so much history. We're learning the kind of history we weren't allowed to know because it's the stuff that doesn't make you feel proud. 
But that leaves us with, and if you want to have a country that you feel proud of, what? You have to lie to yourself. <laughs> you have to repress whole parts of your story, which obliterates the stories of people who don't have the power to tell the story. I don't know. He talks about so much of our story. He comes up with the word humiliation. That the immigrants who came to this country often came because they were humiliated where they were. Talks about terrorized Jews fleeing the Holocaust, the Irish degraded by poverty and famine, the horror of the slave ships. These are all stories that are not pleasant, but they all end here. And now today you see other seekers Desperate, humiliated people trying, like our ancestors, to come. And we just dehumanize them more and humiliate them more. And then he talks about the ongoing humiliation of racism in this country. I don't know. You can tell he's he's worried. Says we need a national story that is based on humility. <laughs> ha ha. Oh, that'll be the day. We need you mainly can't say USA USA USA. Can't do that anymore. We got to say what? I'm sorry. I'm sorry. We need a national story, a new story that is based on humility, not grandiosity and triumphalism. All right. That's it for me. I'm out of here. Okay. I'll talk to you tomorrow. Bye-bye. Lynn Cullen Live, Monday through Thursday from 10 a.m. to 11 a.m. and archived at pghcitypaper.com. The opinions expressed on Lynn Cullen Live are those of the hosts and do not necessarily reflect the viewpoints of Pittsburgh City Paper or its advertisers.